Hello, and welcome to Acting Up, the podcast that dives deep into the world of TV and film that highlights our people, our culture, and our stories. I'm your host, Courtney Wills, Entertainment Director at The Grio, and this week we're speaking to the Harder They Fall star, Jonathan Majors. Jonathan is easily one of my favorite actors, and his performances have been stellar since the start. He got his start in Hostels, opposite Christian Bale, which was also kind of a Western, which is interesting considering how rare it is to see a Black man in a Western, and now we get another one. Jonathan is the star of The Harder They Fall, alongside an epic cast that includes Regina King, Idris Elba, Lakeith Stanfield, Zazie Beetz, and Delroy Lindo, to name a few. His portrayal of Atticus Freeman in HBO's Lovecraft Country still has my head spinning. And he was also very impressive in The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which I saw at Sundance two years ago and was really good. In The Harder They Fall, Jonathan Majors plays Nat Love. He's an outlaw whose sworn enemy Rufus Buck is played by Idris Elba and is being released from prison. So Nat Love rounds up his gang and sets out to track down Rufus and seek revenge. Thanks so much for joining me today on Acting Up. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. I'm a huge fan of your work. And I have been since Hostels, actually, which I realize, I mean, Harder They Fall is not even your first Western, which is crazy because there's never Black people in Westerns. And here we go with number two for you. Anyone who mentioned Hostiles has a a special place in my heart because that film is my very first picture. You know, it's my very first feature film that I had done out of school in general, actually. But yeah, Harley Falls number two. <laughs> so, what was your experience with like the world of westerns coming in to either of those projects? I mean, were you a fan growing up of of cowboy flicks? Was I a fan? I just want to really take a moment to think about that. Was I a fan of it? I was familiar with it, you know, and I had watched it and watched the genre and watched a few pictures. You know, my grandparents, they had the Western Channel and we watched a lot of Western Channel and we lived in a very rural area. So the the spirituality of the genre, I was very much attracted to. And um, yeah, I guess I witnessed it a lot. I mean, Gunsmoke was a big and that's a TV show. Gunsmoke was something we watched a lot of. And uh, my mother's favorite show was Little House on the Prairie, which is more of a Western in the vein of hostiles, you know, more of a a day to day type of Western. It's not really an event that happens. It's just this is what it is to live on the frontier, you know. So coming to the harder they fall, I mean, for me, this really was my first real foray. I think I saw Unforgiven when I was little with Clint Eastwood because my dad took me to it and I hated it. I thought it was boring and like, you know, that was not my speed at all. But Harder They Fall was really the first time I was interested in seeing a Western. And I think it's because it was full of people that I thought that I could relate to and people I was excited to see on screen. And then I come to the film and I was thoroughly entertained. You know, it was just a fun, wild ride. It was exciting to watch. And it made me curious about how much potential I think that there is in that genre, kind of unexplored for artists of color. And I wondered for you, how did you start to kind of cultivate your character without many tangible examples of Black folks starring in Westerns? For me, like my process just in creation is I try to stay away from that energy. I try to stay away from something that's been made before. I mean, 
at the same time, you do end up playing and paying an homage to the genre. But the genre is like, like I said, like the spirituality of a Western is something I experienced from growing up. So in crafting the Nat Love, you know, I could look at Sundance, Butch Cassidy. I could look at, you know, the aforementioned Unforgiven, the gun smoke that I have in my head, um, all the quote unquote spaghetti westerns you know i can i can look at those but i actively tried not to actively didn't because we were building something new and that love is something new you know if i ride a horse literally these fellas aren't built like that love is built these men weren't um ex-slaves you know what i mean like they don't have the we're different people you know that's the thing that for up until this point the western in cinema has been depicted as this very white very male playground and it's simply just not the case so if i were to do that if i were in my process to you know try to copy and paste or be a rendition of you know the great actor, you know, the great director, the great artist, Clint Eastwood, you know, I'd be in trouble, you know, Robert Redford, love him to death, but I'm not Robert Redford. We're different people. You know, we come from different people. And because the Western is such a look into history, it was important for me that I used my history, you know, so kind of to your point, and I, I feel like I'm rambling, but I think it's it's clear to me, hope it's clear to you. Um, in the process of entering into the heart of their fall, entering into this Western frontier, I had to enter into our culture and enter into our books and our history because it's not foreign to us. It's actually very, very, very true. It's more true than, you know, how we've been depicted in the uh, quote unquote Western genre. So I read my books, you know, an autobiography of Nat Love was written by Nat Love, also known as Deadwood Dick. I also looked at a lot of uh, paintings and I paid attention to the scenery. You know, because the thing about the thing about the a Western is where it takes place and where it takes place in a place that is wild. Right. And in order to survive in the wild, you have to master it and you have to find a way to get in conversation with it. So there was in that love this sense of freedom that's turned all the way up to this sense of almost feral liberty in which he lived and existed. And so from those energies, you know, I began to build our that love. Now, what you said about pulling in our history and coming to a space and inhabiting a space that, I mean, kind of in large part, we've been shut out of. I can't help but think about your role in Lovecraft Country because same, right? Like it was a genre that we were shut out of, but yet was so deeply applicable to us and to our experience. And I thought, I mean, I loved so many things about Lovecraft, but I loved how much it felt like we belong here and we've always belonged here in this space. And this genre has everything to do with our history and that connection that was made between our history and that series and weaving it into this genre that we didn't see ourselves in. And I wonder for you, do you find yourself attracted to those kinds of roles, those roles that for the longest time haven't really been intended for you? You know, Courtney, you say something there and I go, hmm, interesting because... The Western genre and the sci-fi genre, this idea of genre and that they've been safeguarded. Why have they been safeguarded? Because there is something, there is like all, like all things, right, that hold value, like all territories that hold value. There's a resource there, right? And if you can tap into that resource, your livelihood will be better, right? Which is why they, they hoard bandwidth now, right? There's all these things. So as an artist, look, at this is, this is like a cheat sheet you just gave. Like, let's look at the places in which we don't exist or where we're not depicted as, you know, 
Black folks or whatever it is you're fighting for, whatever it is we're trying to, to see. But in this case, Black folks, right, members of the African diaspora, there's something in the sci-fi genre that allows us to expand, right, that allows us to transcend the history that holds us down, right? And if you experience that as a human being, as an artist, if people experience it in viewing the work, they then have tapped into that resource and they then have access to it, which then they then grow as an individual and as a people, right? And so whoever the powers are that be, and there's no beef right now, we're not angry, so I'll just speak plainly, you know, powers that be that, that have put up these barricades, done that in order to safeguard themselves and give themselves that experience, but also to, there's fear there, right? There's fear in that group because they've taken that away from other from other people, right? From the Asian experience, from the African American experience, from the, uh, the Mexican American experience, the Mexican experience. I, we can go on, you know, the Indian experience. We can go on, and the Western has done that in the same way. The Western is very much the the dignity and the um, regality of what it is to be free, right? What it is to be physically liberated. Right. Of course, of course, they try to keep enslaved people away from that. Right. Because if we can see that and experience that, that's detrimental. Right. To some people's agenda. Now, to the question, I personally am always trying to find a way to grow, you know, and to challenge myself. Otherwise, you just kind of quit, don't you? You kind of go, OK, I've, you've done it now. You know, let me walk yeah. away from it. So. So, no, I do find myself attracted to barricades, the places where they say, you know, we can't go. We're not allowed to go. That's an occupational hazard. I do that in my own life, you know, because <laughs> it helps me grow as an artist, helps me grow as a man, as a father, as a friend, a lover, a citizen. Yeah. What was the most challenging part of filming this movie in a pandemic? I mean, Regina said it was such a, a different experience than any other one that she's ever had on a set because you guys were doing this with a big cast and a lot of stunts and taking up a lot of space at a really scary time for us all. So what was that like for you and how did it affect your process? Well, I feel like, I don't know, but I feel like a lot of people will speak to the, the physical handicaps that shooting in a pandemic gives. So I'll venture to speak to, for me, the spiritual handicap of it right or the spiritual challenge of it because as we said like it it almost felt for me in moments i was like they can't win they can't really be against us you know what i mean like we talked about how we were redlined out of this genre god damn lord like don't let them don't let it win don't let that don't let that spirit win you know that keeps us out that lets our film go down you know and there were so many times like we actually even after coming back we went down two weeks, 10 days, three days. Okay, what are we going to do now? Some people have to be recast. You know, there's so much turmoil, you know, that physically, I was like, look, I, I physically, and also like, let's just be real, you know, any marginalized group we've experienced, I mean, pandemic, yeah, it is tough. It's bad. It's bad. It touches everybody. But it ain't nothing like the Middle Passage, I guarantee you. You know what I mean? Ain't nothing like the Trail of Tears. Ain't nothing like the Holocaust. You know what I mean? Like those who have experienced blood trauma, you know, it's just it's just another thing. And it did have gravity and it continues to have gravity. I digress, but I say all that to say that for me, it was really trying to hone into that and still stay connected to myself, still stay connected to the mission. You know, like we've got to tell the story, you know, like these folks, as James Samuel so beautifully put at the beginning of the film, these people actually existed and they need to exist. They need to be made real again. You know, for this generation, for this time, you know, the Holiday Fall served as a time capsule for 
many, many, many generations. So yeah, the hardest part for me was keeping the mental tight, you know, keeping the faith, you know, like we're going to get it done. And then on top of that, to try to, I could, I didn't really have time to get caught up in it because if I felt if I took my mind or my spirit or my heart off getting the scene done, getting the work, getting these stunts, you know, as an act, you know, if I would have gone down physically or emotionally or spiritually, you know, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if we would have made it, you know what I mean? So it was very important to me to have that, you know, to to keep the faith, you know, and that's what was pulling on me, you know, and I don't know if I've, I, I probably haven't shared that to many people, with many people, but it was the isolation that allowed me to kind of sit and think and soldier myself up, you know, to be able to do it to the best of my ability. I do not want to embarrass you, but I wonder, I mean, talking to you and really, I mean, I have followed your career from jump. You don't strike me as someone who gets very wrapped up in like the celebrity of all of this. You really seem like someone who's dedicated to the work and and the work leads. I don't read about you in the tabloids. I don't know who you're dating. But do you get like what an incredible impact you have made just in the last, I mean, honestly, this role and Lovecraft, I think if I was to ask most people, especially Black women, who their number one, oh my God, dreamboat is right now. It is you. And you're in a movie with Idris Elba. And a lot of people are asking me, does Jonathan take a shirt off in this movie? And they're not asking me about Idris. <laughs> and I see you getting embarrassed, but sometimes I wonder what an artist like yourself makes of all of the hoopla, because it is there. I mean, we are dying of over you right now. <laughs> I was holding it too. Uh, no, I mean, it's all right. It comes with, uh, it's just all high school, isn't it? You know, it's just, we've all experienced it, you know, to a degree, maybe just for a moment, you know. But no, it's to me, it just feels like support. I love that. I love that the ladies are are, are running in because maybe those ladies got boyfriends and they, they come in or they got mamas and, you know, and, and they see the work because I think it, however they get it. You know what I mean? However they get it. And it's, uh, I mean, it is, it's very flattering, you know, it's very flattering, you know, um, <laughs> I'm a young man. It's, it's like, oh, wow, it's kind of, it's kind of cool, you know, but. Um, You're like the homecoming king right now. <laughs> it's like, you know, I, we just got to win the game, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> we just got to win the game, you know, so uh, it don't hurt none. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I know I have to let you go soon, but I wondered for you, you know, like you said, Hostels was your first real feature film out of school. And now you've got these highly visible, highly praised projects under your belt. How do you see yourself navigating your career from this point? You know, the exposure and the access that you have now compared to the start of your career. How does that inform how you intend to move through this industry? I do think about, you know, the aforementioned, you know, (laughs) ladies you were talking about, you know, I think about them. I think about, you know, the homies. I think about where I come from. You know, I think about the, I got a really beautiful text message from one of my little mentees you know, longer than usual. It, it moves me a lot. And, you know, he said some things to me where I was like, I'll take that, you know, you feel that way about me. I'll take that. You think that about me? Straight off, straight on, whatever. I'll take that, you know, and I've got this little girl I'm trying to raise, you know? And so I go, what do we need as a culture? What do we need as a, as a people? And I begin to divide myself up. You know, I say, okay, as a man, how do I feel? As a Southern man, how do I feel? As an American, how do I feel? As a Black man, what can I, what can I continue to contribute, you know? And so, 
for I'm looking for the danger. I'm looking for the places where I can continue to grow. As I said, when that's over with, I'm I'm kind of done. You know, um, I know there's this there's this uh, I'm doing this animation thing that I'm trying to get get off the ground. These guys asked me to do it. I'm really excited about that. You know, and um, giving voice to that. But just more stories that I I still feel like I need to tell more stories, and then I feel the shifts coming where I can begin to produce more stories. You know, and like really establish. I really, really began to challenge my own point of view, you know, outside of the acting medium, because I do teach, you know, it's something I always, I do teach, I do teach acting and it's important to me, you know, so I would like to do that. And I guess directing is in a way, you know, offering someone your point of view, allowing them to experience it in a way. So maybe that, but right now I'm trying to figure out what the fuck I'm going to do on SNL. So <laughs> where do you teach? Uh, just a few, just a few guys here and there, but I have a, I have a theater company in Bali. And um, we invite kids out that way. And it's really spiritual work on the craft. Because one, one of my things that I, I really found myself coming up against in all my training was the spiritual element of the craft. It's not there. And it's so odd, you know, to try to put it there. Like, I couldn't imagine if my teacher said, tried to say, you know, oh, wait, wait, wait. You know, like, you know, my mom's a pastor. I'd be like, wait, I don't know if you could do that. You know, just there's just no place for it within institutions, you know, for whatever reason. But the artist needs it. And so if the artist doesn't come in with it, there has to be a place. There has, it's, just, it's just a way to, it's auxiliary, you know, it's extracurricular that will help you, you know, come game day, I think. And it's imperative, you know, for my craft and, and, and what I've been doing. So, yeah, there's a few kids that, I say kids, just students, and I kid, like grown up, grown ups that, um, that I meet up with and we chat and talk about the pedagogy of it and, and try to drop that energy into their work. And because it is the spirituality element that does touch, that transcends genre, that transcends gender, race, et cetera. Once you can tap into that, and it's just to try, you just have to try to, you know, you kind of begin to push the barriers. You begin to grow yourself in ways you didn't think possible. And I think it's, uh, I think that's important. If it's not, then, you know, kind of stop doing it <laughs> yes yes and you said you have a little girl and you are working on animation so I know I don't need to tell you how important representation is for kids you know seeing themselves in projects that they can relate to and that I think empowers them is so important and we're finally starting to see a lot of movement in that direction when it comes to the animation space particularly for kids of color which I'm so excited about and I wonder for you was there something, a person, a project that as a young person made you feel seen or even, you know, gave you the audacity to pursue this career in this country as a Black man from the South? I come from very audacious people, you know. It's so funny, I'm the smallest man in my family. Wow. I'm, I stand, I'm almost I'm about 6'1", and I'm, and I'm, not, I'm not a small guy, you know. Um, but I come from giants, you know, internally um, and externally. You know, and I watched my grandfathers really make a way for themselves and they use their voices. You know, they, they were really they're all Masons and um, they use a military men at that, you know, and yeah, they use their voices. You know, it's, it's for me. I never really looked to the art form for inspiration. I looked to the people. I always look to the people. And the first people I looked to was, you know, my granddaddy, you know, everyone worshiped him. You know, if your father, you know, and I've got an interesting, interesting relationship with my father, but when your father, when your king bows to this man, you have to pay attention to him, you know? And so I honored him. And uh, the way I watched him move through the world, you know, Big Andy, you know, and then Marion, you know, these, my two 
my two lions, you know, I watched them and they inspired me and they emboldened their grandson a great deal. And I don't think they, mm, it moves me. I don't think, I don't think they know that, you know what I mean? I dedicated um, Atticus to my maternal grandfather. And um, yeah, that's what it was. So it's not, I mean, that's it's one of the reasons I can kind of be like, nah, you know, fuck this whole thing. You know what I mean? Like the celebrity thing, as you said at the beginning, it's like, it's uh, it's neither here nor there for me. You know, I, I actually I actually don't know how to value it. You know what I mean? So that ignorance is something that I, and mind you, look, this whole thing, a lot of this has happened in the middle of a pandemic. You know what I mean? Like I remember uh, Journey Smollett sent me a photo one time of her downtown in Los Angeles and Atticus and Letty were as big as Texas. And I was in New Mexico and I, 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 it dawned on me, I'll never see that. Because by the time I get to Los Angeles, the show will be done, you know? And I thought, oh, I thank God for that. Thank God for that, you know, just to keep my feet on the ground, you know, at all times. I'm rambling, but I'm having such a good time talking to you. Oh, I'm having a good time too. I do not want to let you go. And before I do, I have to tell you, because I don't know that I'll have another opportunity since this show is apparently done, but Lovecraft, I mean, I've done this job for almost 20 years now and I don't know that I've ever been as impacted by a project as a whole and by performances as a whole as you all did in Lovecraft I mean I thought it was something so special from the moment I saw the first episode Mm -hmm. and I think that you and Journey and Courtney and Ingenue and Michael God rest his soul brought something and did something that truly changed the way that I understood this medium could could make me feel about our past. Mm-hmm. I looked at Letty like, I think that if I was alive at that time, I hope I would have been like her. That's right. You know, and that we haven't seen that. We've seen victims and we've seen these stoic, you know, women marching that seemed unbreakable, but she felt human and you all brought a humanness to this very real, tangible terror that was so much scarier than the monsters popping up out of the ground, Mm -hmm. you know, and you made the racism feel so close and so real. I think it was just truly remarkable. It's one of the best things that I've ever seen. And I'm so proud of it. Thank you very much for saying that. You're welcome. Last question is just what are you homies with Jay-Z now? I mean, are you kicking it with Idris? This is a crazy cast, a crazy lineup of people involved in this project. Like, how cool was that? There is a pretty wicked text thread that I don't think people would believe it. <laughs> They're like, what are you all these people? Like one, like a voice note. And it's like, oh, like, you know, it's, it's kind of silly, you know, but uh it just they're just incredible artists, you know, and therefore incredible people. Mr. Carter, uh, we've had we've had more than one conversation at this point, and so he's a brother for sure. He's a, he's always always felt like a brother, but but he's he's a brother for real now. Driss and I are still trying to figure out when we're gonna work out together. You know, <laughs> Regina is Regina. You know, as as silly and talented and and beautiful as she is, and you know, Lakeith and I are trying to do a play together down the line so yeah i mean that's what happens when you when you have a group of artists like this that you know we really are we really are an ensemble and we really are uh, a cast and we are a team you know a family and you know to you know to the hostiles of it you know to um now and now to this it's all one thing it's really all one thing you know and 
it's just snapshots, you know, first snapshot was that, but it, it's still one thing in motion. And so I look at that text thread and I, you know, I wake up and I'm, you know, sending whatever to whoever is beautiful because now we're all, we're all together now, you know, it, it would take effort to not be together, you know, um, we're together now and we'll run together and, and that team will help, will help each other. I should probably call Regina at some point because she did SNL and I need to ask her what, you know, what the fuck is going to happen, you know, and all that stuff. But, you know, and I know she's got my back if I actually do call her to, to do that. But yeah, yeah, it's a crazy, it's a crazy uh, team. It's a crazy family. And uh, and it came up on the screen. Hopefully people see it when we, uh, when we do our thing in the movie. You know, that those gangs are two gangs, but one family. And um, yeah, I'm just I'm just really happy. It's it's all coming together. Well, I loved it. I can't wait for people to see it. I think you're going to kill it on SNL. Don't be nervous. Do you think that you're funny? I'm funny. <laughs> I, I know I am. You're funny. Uh, and I'm not nervous. It's just more like I, I want to be respectful. You know, I want to do, yeah. do my homework. You know what I mean? I want to do the do my best. And uh, yeah. Yeah. it's a big deal we'll be rooting for you thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today and thank you for your candor and thank you for your work i just i love watching you i love having artists that i could really just look forward to everything you do and you have quickly become one of those people for me so thank you thank you so much you take care i'll see you soon bye-bye Thank you for listening to Acting Up. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with everyone you know. Please email all questions, comments, and suggestions to podcasts at thegrio.com. Acting Up is brought to you by The Grio, an executive produced by Courtney Wills and produced by Cameron Blackwell. For more with me and Acting Up, check us out on Instagram at actingup.pod.